0: Well, as David said, uh, we have a little bit of a a unique service this weekend as we not only close up and and wrap up this this habit series here, but also as we we actually talk about and engage in what is our final habit in this series, and that is the habit of worship. The habit of worship. This past week, I was remembering an incident when I was in elementary school. This is probably third or fourth grade, something like that. I was remembering I was in a bookstore with my mom, and I was in the children's section of this bookstore. And I remember there was a book on a shelf off in a distance that sort of caught my eye. And what stood out to me about this book is that it looked as though on its surface it looked to be a book about Disneyland. On the cover of this book there looked to be a painting actually of the the castle at Disneyland. Well naturally this was my kind of book as any I think 8 or 9 year old was. I was kind of obsessed with Disneyland at the time and so immediately I made my way over to get a closer look at this book. And when I got to this book, I was surprised to find out that this book wasn't at all a book about Disneyland. You know what this book was about? It was a book about heaven of all things. It was actually an illustrated children's book about heaven. And I remember telling my mom that, and I remember my mom saying something along the lines of, well, that's fitting, that makes sense, and indeed it did make sense. Because if you were to ask me at the time to describe what heaven looked like, I probably would have described it as much like a giant Disneyland. For, for my eight or nine-year-old self, heaven looked like Disneyland, and, and maybe some of you can relate to that story in some small way, shape, or form. I think as one of the most enduring questions that we have as Christians is this question of heaven. You know, as people who believe that there is a world beyond this one, as people who believe that there is a life beyond this one, one of the things that our, our mind naturally does from time to time is it begins to wonder, what, what is that world like? What is heaven going to be like? Just this past week, I could tell that my son Lucas, my four-year-old son Lucas, was thinking about the very, that very thing. Uh, The two of us were driving in the car together, just the two of us, and just out of the blue, he had no idea what I was talking on this week, and just out of the blue, he asked the following question. He said, hey, Dad, he said, when we get to heaven, he said, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody in this room, he says, when we get to heaven, he he asked, are we going to have normal faces, or are we going to have old faces? When we get to heaven, are we going to have normal faces or are we going to have old faces? You see, everybody he knows who has gone to heaven has been older. And so he wants to know what we're going to look like when we're in heaven. And so he seemed to get some relief when I answered that question with, Well, son, we're going to have exactly the type of face that God wants us to have. See how I handled that? I've learned a few things in my parenting over my few short years here. But there is this natural curiosity that I think many of us have of of what is the world beyond this one going to look like? What is heaven going to look like? Well, some of you may know that the Bible gives us at least a glimpse at the answer to that question. We're not given as much detail as we'd like, but there are a few places in the Bible where we are given sort of a peek into heaven. And one of those places is in the book of Revelation. If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, for this part of my message, I'm in Revelation chapter 4. And you can turn there, Revelation chapter 4. We'll also have the verses I'm going to read on the screen. But in the book of Revelation, something really amazing happens. A man by the name of John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends actually here on this earth, he is given a vision of the end of the world as we know it. And as a part of this vision, John is actually given a vision of heaven itself. He's taken into heaven. He's taken into the presence of God himself. This is what John makes clear in the first line of the first verse of Revelation chapter 4. When he writes this, we'll have this on the screen. He said, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And by this line right here, we are told that John is getting something that only a handful of people in the Bible ever got while they were still alive. John is getting a glimpse of heaven itself. And it's clear as you continue on in Revelation chapter 4 that as a part of this vision he has of heaven, John is actually able to see God. In some way, John gets to see God himself. But despite the fact that John sees God, he actually doesn't describe for us what God looks like. And the reason for that, as I think I've shared with you before, is because the Bible indicates that there's actually no way to put into human language what God looks like. Any attempt to describe God and his appearance actually fails the words that we have available to us in the English language. That's how magnificent God is. And so rather than describe for us what God looks like, instead what John does is he describes everything surrounding God. He he describes what is going on surrounding God. And what John tells us, among other things, is that surrounding God in heaven are two groups of beings, two groups of creation. The first group is a group that John refers to as the four living creatures. He says, God is in the center of heaven on this throne, and immediately surrounding God are these four living creatures. And these are four angels, we're told, that surround God. And they are introduced to us for the first time in Revelation 4 in the middle of verse 6. Look with me there. This is what John writes. He says, "...in the center around the throne," that's the throne where God sits, "...were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle." Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so here John describes these four angels, these four living creatures that surround God. And as you can see, John describes them in a very interesting way. They have a very interesting appearance. They definitely don't have normal faces, right? Among other things, we're told that they're covered with eyes all around, and they each have six wings. And there's a little bit of of, of a debate out there as to the significance of their appearance. It's very obvious that the book of Revelation is a book of symbolism. So these features of these angels, they're symbolic of something, but what exactly they're symbolic of, not everybody agrees on. But what we can all agree on is what these four angels, what these four living creatures are doing, and, and what is it that, that John sees them doing? Well, they're doing exactly what we just did a couple of minutes ago, right? They're praising God. They're, they're worshiping God. They're, they're singing songs to God. John tells us in verse 8 that there is this song that they sing, that they praise God with the words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he tells us another detail in verse 8. He says that they do this day and night without ceasing. You know what that means? That means right now as we sit here in this worship center... Right now, these four living creatures are surrounding God and they are worshiping Him. They're praising Him. They're singing songs to Him. In fact, the whole reason for which they were created was to sing songs to God. But this isn't the only part of of God's creation that, that John sees in heaven, he sees another group of beings as well. And this is a group of beings that John refers to as the 24 elders. He tells us that surrounding these four living creatures who surround God are these 24 elders. And and these 24 elders are likely another group of angels. We sort of get the impression in the Bible that there's a bunch of different distinctions of angels. There's a bunch of of different types of angels. And one of these types of angels are these uh, these 24 elders. And the distinctive feature of these 24 elders is, is we're told they have crowns on their head, like a crown that a king on this earth would wear. And as John describes these 24 elders, you know what they're doing? They're doing the same thing the four living creatures are doing. They're praising God. They're worshiping God. Look with me at verse 9. John says whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So what are these 24 elders doing? They're worshiping God. They're praising God. In fact, we're told that every single time the four living creatures, the four angels, sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the 24 elders, they have a song of their own that they sing. They have their own chorus that they sing to God. And not only are we told that they worship God with their words, we're told there's actually a physical posture that they take. We're told as they praise God, we're told they fall down before God. And we're told they take the crowns that are on their head. And they lay it at the feet of God. We learn in the next chapter, they lay it at the feet of Jesus, who is also on the throne. And that's what these 24 elders are doing. And so as John gives us this this picture of heaven, what is heaven doing? Heaven is praising God. Heaven is worshiping God. So what's the significance of that? Well, the significance is this. You know, of all the habits that, that we've covered in this series, I, I think there is something unique about this final habit that we're engaging in today, this habit of worship. You see, I think, men and women, I think when we, when we come together and when we sing songs to God, when we praise God, we are getting about as close as we can to experiencing heaven here on this earth. I think when we worship God, we are getting a taste of, of what heaven is going to be like. In fact, the Bible is universal on this. There's a few people in the Bible who, besides John who get the opportunity to see God, to see heaven as it were. And every single time someone sees God, their reaction is always the same. They fall down on the ground and they begin praising Him. They begin worshiping Him. It seems as though the only human response that someone can have to God is one of worship. When we worship God, something supernatural happens. We are experiencing heaven on earth. And that's why I don't know about for you, but for me, I find that when I get really serious about worshiping God, when in a worship service here at Friends, for example, when I when I stop worrying about what everybody else is thinking, when I stop worrying about what people are thinking about if I'm standing up or sitting down or anything else, when I stop worrying about whether or not even, I even like the song that we're singing, but I just engage, I just begin to praise God, or when I worship God in my car, or when I worship God as I, go, as I go on a walk and I listen to praise music, something happens to me in that moment. It does something to me in that moment. Now, don't get me wrong. Worship isn't about us, and it isn't what about it does to us. Worship is a, is a about God. It's about giving God glory and honor and praise. But nevertheless, I find that when I get really serious about worshiping God, it does something to me. In that moment, sort of all my worries and all my stress and all the troubles that I've, I've had, for a moment, they just seem to Disappear. They seem to melt away. There's something I have found about focusing on on the magnificence of God and realizing my own insignificance in comparison that makes the troubles of this earth begin to go away as I focus on what it is that truly matters. There's a song that put it this way. It said, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The troubles of this earth begin to sort of melt away as we get a picture of heaven. That's exactly what I saw in this video that I came across just a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, I came across an incredible news story of a Christian woman, a mother, a grandmother, um, who was was dying of of terminal cancer. In fact, in the video that you're about ready to see, she's actually just just a couple of days away from succumbing to this this cancer. Excuse me. And in the days leading up to when this video was taken, um, this this woman had showed no response, no movement whatsoever. She hadn't moved, she hadn't talked, she hadn't done anything in days. She had just laid in in her bed. But knowing her love for Jesus, the the family of this woman, they they put a worship song on their phone. And they held this phone up to their mom, up to their grandmother, as she was laying in bed. And as this worship song was, was playing on this phone, You know what this woman did? For the first time in days, she showed some movement. And what she did is she began to raise her hand, and she began to praise Jesus. She began to worship God. Take a look at the screens, and you'll see what I mean. Sarah. Oh, yes, That's a picture of a woman experiencing heaven on earth. And that's why, you know, I, I know in this habit series we've given you a lot to do, and I understand that. I hope you know, however, that we've, we, we've talked about these things because they're beneficial for us, they're good for us. And that's why at the risk of, of giving you just another thing to do here, I would just encourage you, if, if you don't already, develop a habit of worship develop a regular routine of just pausing every once in a while, and and just praising God and and worshiping God. And and I don't just mean here at church, though of course there's something unique that happens when we come together and we praise God. But but you can praise God in your car. You can praise God in your life groups. You can praise God at at 2 a.m. when you wake up and you're stressed out by things and your mind's running wild. and, And you can put headphones on and you can listen to a worship music. I do that sometimes. And I find that more often than not, in His grace, God meets me in that time. I experience a taste of heaven on earth. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. We're going to continue on with our time of worship through song. And so would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me right now? And as we head into this time, (coughs) excuse me. here's what I want to ask. I want to reiterate what David said earlier. Don't worry during this time about what anybody else thinks about what you're doing, okay? Don't worry about whether your voice is good or not good. I have a horrible singing voice. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about what you're doing with your hands and whether other people are paying attention. Don't worry if you're the only person standing. Don't worry if you're the only person sitting. In fact, here's a novel thought. Don't think about yourself at all during this time. One of the things I like to do when I worship is to close my eyes and just imagine as best as I can that I'm standing in heaven, that I'm standing, and the throne of God is right in front of me, and I, and I worship God as, as, as best as I can that way. Maybe do that during this time. Let's give God the praise and the glory that he deserves. Let's get a taste of heaven on earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us as we head into this time. Father God, um, I think, Lord, about these angels in heaven who who right now as we speak are just praising you and worshiping you God the whole reason that they were created is to do that father and God I don't think that they're the only beings that the whole reason that they were created is to worship you I think our whole reason for creation was to worship you as well because you are so worth it father you are so magnificent God and so father as we turn our attention again to you right now Lord I I just pray in this time God that um, you would be pleased with what we sing father I pray that we would get our, out of the way. We'd stop thinking our, about ourselves. We'd just focus on you, God. And, and I pray, Father, that there would just be a sense, Lord, that you are listening to what is going on here in this place, God, and you are pleased with it. And, and we would, for the next several minutes, we would experience just a, a picture, just a taste of heaven, Father. God, we thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to, to praise you in this way, Lord. And as the old song says, God, I pray that it would just be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Father, we love you so, so much, Father. Accept this as an offering to you. And we ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Hey, listen, as we, uh, as we draw this, this habit series here to a close, uh, there's something that I, I just want to let you know. And that is, uh, just as one of your pastors here, I, I am so unbelievably proud of this church. And I am so unbelievably proud of of each and every one of you and the ways that you engaged uh, in this series over the last several weeks. Uh, I I don't think it's anything, I think it's unlike anything we have ever seen before at this church. This past week, there were a few of us, and we were kind of reflecting on the end of this series, and we were looking at, at some of the numbers related to this series. And, and numbers are, are just numbers, but they do tell a story, and, and, and there's just some amazing things associated with the past six weeks. For example, last week, uh, we gave out this call, and we asked people, would you, would you be willing to step up and serve in some of our various ministries? And 158 of you, you, you raised your hand. And you said that you would do that. And what is coolest to me of 158, 99 of you, which means we need one more, okay? 99 of you, you said that you would volunteer time and you would serve in our Next Gen Ministries. You would serve pouring in to the, the, the next generation of Christians here at this church. And that's just awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> A few weeks ago, we gave out this really strong call and this difficult call. For a 90-day giving challenge, and and we asked if some of you would would for 90 days commit to giving 10% of your income to further God's purposes. Nearly 300 of you said yes to that, and you said that you were going to do that. That's incredible. I don't think we've seen anything like that before, but by by far the, the, the coolest thing is that a few weeks ago when we started this series we really had this desire that that our church would be in life groups and they would go through this habits curriculum. And 4,000 of you have done that. 4,000 of you have walked through this habits curriculum over the past six weeks. And of that 4,000, 750 of you had never been in a life group before. You had never done anything like this before. So you took a step out in faith, and you took a step out in risk, and you did that. And again, I don't think we've seen anything like that at our church before. And and all these numbers, they don't include the, the, the countless numbers of you who have started reading your Bible, and you've never done that before, and you've prayed more on a regular basis, and you've started fasting more. I mean, it, it's just amazing all that's occurred here. And I know in every single one of these numbers, I know there's a sacrifice. I know every single one of these things took a sacrifice. There's, there's something else in your life that you could spend that money, that 300 of you are now giving away that you haven't before. There's there's something else you could do with your Wednesday nights than meet in these life groups. There's something else you could do with your Sunday mornings than decide to serve in one of our kid rooms in uh, one of our nurseries, something like that, and volunteer in our next gen department. Every single one of these things, they take a sacrifice. And why have thousands of you, why have you decided to make this sacrifice? Well, I hope the reason that you've done it is because if we as we have asked for these things. You felt as though God was saying to you, this is for you. I want you to do this. And you desire to be obedient to the call of God. And what I want to let you know is, as we, as we close out this series with this final habit of worship, when you said yes to God, when you decided to make those sacrifices to God, I want you to know you were worshiping God. You may not have been worshiping God in song, but, but you were worshiping God. You know, as we, we talk about this subject of worship today, it's so important to realize, men and women, that according to the Bible, we don't just worship God through the songs that we sing. We also worship God in the way that we live our lives. We, we worship God through our actions. This is what Paul makes clear and probably what is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. We'll put this on the screen, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes the following. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, and what's that last word there? Worship. Worship. This is your true and proper worship. And by that last word there, what Paul is telling us is he's telling us that this is a verse about worship. It's a verse about true and proper worship. It's a verse about the type of worship that God desires from each and every one of us. But if you look at that verse with worship in mind, what stands out to you? Not once does Paul mention singing songs to God. Nowhere do we see anything like what we just saw in Revelation chapter 4. And what Paul is telling us by that is that there is another way that God wants us to worship him. Now, make no mistake about it. God wants us to sing songs to him. He wants us to praise him in that way. That's what we're going to do in heaven. But what Paul indicates in this verse is that there's another way we worship God. We also worship God, not just through the songs that we sing, but we also worship God in the lives that we live. Whenever we take a sacrifice for God, that's what is meant by that phrase, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Whenever we sacrifice for the sake of God, whenever we do something simply because it's what God wants us to do, we are worshiping Him. And when you face a dilemma at work, and your first instinct in that dilemma is, how would God have me solve this situation? And when you figure out what that is, and you go ahead and do it, you know what you're doing in that moment? You're worshiping God. You're not singing a song to him, but you're worshiping him. When you get some extra income and your first instinct is, I need to set aside a portion of this to be generous with it. You know what you're doing in that moment? You know what we're doing when we're passing baskets around this church and collecting offering or you go online and do that? That is an act of worship. We're worshiping God. When you face a major crossroads in your life, And your first instinct is is, is to do, maybe not what logic and reason says, but you need to, you know you need to do what God says, even if it's more difficult, even if it seems to lead to a harder path. You know you need to do that. You know what you're doing in that moment? You're worshiping God. You're praising God with your life. Every time we do what God wants us to do, we are worshiping Him. And that is what thousands of you, thousands of you did over the last several weeks. In fact, I would go as far to say that I think over the last several weeks our church has worshipped God in a way maybe it has never done before. And that's why I can stand up here and I can say to you in all sincerity, in the six and a half years I have been at this church, I have never been more excited than I am right now. I have never been more excited for what's in store for us than I am right now. I think it is evident that there is something different, that there is something really exciting that is going on here in this church. And with all due respect to our past, I believe in in my heart of hearts that our best days are ahead of us. And I believe that there is a great work that God is going to do in this place. And you know who gets all the credit for that. You know who gets all the glory for that. I do. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I don't do that. God gets all the credit for that. He gets all the glory for that. And that's one of the reasons that we praise Him. And that's one of the reasons that we worship Him. And so as we close out this service, once again, that's what we're going to do. But before we do that, there's one final thing I'd I'd like to ask of you. You know, one of the things I've really enjoyed about this series is that we've been given this opportunity every once in a while to just pause for a little bit in our services and to have some time of quiet and reflection and prayer. And I want to give you a a final opportunity to do that right now in this series. So, So would you bow your heads with me? And with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, there's just kind of two things I I want you to do in this time. The first thing I want want you to do is, is I want you to spend just a little bit of time just thanking God. Paul says in Romans 12 1 that we worship God. We offer our bodies as a sacrifice to God because of his mercies to us. And so I want you to thank God for the way that he has been merciful to you. I want you to thank God for the gifts that he has given you. And I don't just mean here tangible gifts. I mean for the ways that He is transforming you, the, the ways that His Holy Spirit is working on on you to, 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 to produce within you the, the fruit of the Spirit, a different sort of life. You're different than you're used to be, and, and the credit for that goes to God. And so why don't you spend some time thanking God for what He has done in your life, and I'll give you a moment now to do that. now what I want you to do is this. I want you to, in your own language, to God, I want you to just declare to Him your desire to, in every area of your life, live your life for Him, to offer your whole body, your whole life as a living sacrifice. To have an attitude in the spirit that says, God, whenever you speak, I, I want to have a heart that immediately I-, I respond to that. Whenever I see your word say to do something on a certain subject, God, that- that's what I want to do. I, I want to live for you. And if maybe that's a hard prayer for you to pray right now, maybe even just to ask God for his help in that in this moment, to ask God to come alongside you and to help you live for him in this moment. And so I'm going to give you some time now, just in your own words, just to declare, God, I, I, I want to live for you. I, I want to do whatever it is that you want me to do. I, I want to worship you with my entire life. Father, I just, I just stand up here right now, God, and uh, Father, I, I am so grateful <coughs> for this church, God. And by that, I mean I'm so grateful for the people who are here, Lord. For the people who, who are here because they have a desire and a hunger to know you better, to connect with you, to deepen their faith, to live in the way that you, you, you want us all to live, Father. They have a desire to worship you, not just in song, but to worship you with, with our very lives and God, we know that ultimately the credit for that all goes back to you. And so, God, I, I pray what I prayed just a few minutes ago, God. Paul says in Philippians that you who began a good work in us would, would see it through to the day of completion, Father. And I pray that for our community, God. I pray that these habits that we've talked about would not be a one-and-done sort of thing, but they would become a part of us. They would become a part of who you are. But, God, we would recognize that these habits serve an ultimate goal of, of, of just drawing us closer to you, And allowing your Holy Spirit to do his work inside of each and every one of us, God. Father, I I don't understand how loving and how gracious you are. It doesn't make sense to me, God, but but that's what your word says. And we thank you for your compassion and love towards us, Father. And I just pray that in response to that, we would live lives that are always seeking to just please you. And when we mess up, God, and we will mess up, God, I, I pray that we would recognize your grace and forgiveness. And we would get back up again, Father, and with your help and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would just praise you, not just in word, but praise you also through our lives. And so, Father, you are so worthy to receive honor and glory and power and praise, Father. And as we close our time together, Father, um, that's what we want to do. We thank you, Lord, so much for what you've given us, Lord. We love you so much. And we ask all of this in, in the precious name of your son, Jesus.